Awesome. Hey, first through fifth graders, you can enter out on, on my left, your right, be taken care of, learning about Jesus, so you can go ahead and get up at that moment. Yeah. I love this service already because the energy's in the room, so where's the youth at? Where the youth at? <laughs> awesome. Hey, church, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Tyler, and I got to spend uh, the whole weekend at the weekend with this group right here. And uh, I am so wildly encouraged at what God is doing in this church and uh, in this city. And if we haven't gotten to meet, uh, my name is Tyler. We'd love to connect with you afterward. Uh, uh, before we get started today, a few things uh, that you need to know about me. I was born and raised in Pennsylvania. Any Pennsylvanias in the place? There was a couple before. Yeah, okay, I love it. I said this earlier, like, y'all are my people. Y'all are my people. We've been having a little bit colder weather this weekend. And I don't know if you left Pennsylvania to Florida because you wanted to escape the cold, but uh, here we are, and uh, so I, I moved from Pennsylvania, grew up there, found my way to Lakeland, Florida to go to Southeastern University. Prior to that, I was playing uh, soccer. That was kind of the direction that my life was headed. I was a freshman at Bowling Green State University, pursuing a degree in exercise science, and uh, I was walking with the Lord, but I got a hold of my heart and called me to preach the gospel and to pastor, and so I left soccer and everything that I knew, and uh, long story short, ended up at Lakeland, Florida uh, at Southeastern University, uh, kind of doing both, and uh, joined a missions trip, and just so happened the person leading the trip uh, was a, a pretty little girl named Tara, and uh, well, I joined the trip, and uh, then I married the team leader, and uh, <laughs> praise God for mission trips. Uh, but uh, she is uh, the love of my life, and I believe we have a picture here on the screen we can show. I have two uh, young boys. Uh, Judah just turned three on Friday, and I love him with my whole heart. And then that little bundle of joy in my wife Tara's arms is uh, my second son. His name is Carson, and he's just over two months old, so pray for us. Uh, pray for my wife, really, you know. Uh, I'm just kind of on my son Judah's uh, night and day, and he's, he's running me around. So that's my family. Uh, I get to be a, a pastor at a church uh, in West Palm Beach called Christ Fellowship. We've been there uh, for just uh, almost five years. Um, we moved there right before, uh, right after my wife and I got married, so we celebrated five years of marriage like 10 days ago, so thank God for that. Um, it's been, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and uh, I, just, I just gotta say that this place already feels like home. Got to spend a summer camp with this group in, in June, and uh, thanks, Pastor Sydney, for having us out, and, and uh, you got the best youth pastor in the world, Hux. Come on, get some noise for your youth pastor. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes, yeah, I love that, I love that. Sometimes you don't know how good you have it in the place you are, and I just want you to know how good you have it in the place that you are, and and really, as I was coming into to the weekend, my heart was really just heavy for, for students to encounter Jesus and to experience him this weekend. And I just want to say to the students in this room, thank you like, for letting me be a small part of, of your life this weekend. I believe in you guys more than you know. And um, you don't know this as much as I hope that you would, but your faith inspires me so much. Like the way that you guys pursue Jesus, the way that you lean into God's word, the way that you chase after him, it inspires me so much. I'm going back home full of faith and expectation for my own family and, and uh, church family. I hope that you know that. And so it's been an incredible time watching God move and spending time uh, hanging out together. But as I was praying for this weekend and praying for this church, praying for Heritage, I really was like, Lord, what, what do you want for this weekend, at, this Sunday? 
And I really felt like my assignment was pretty simple to encourage you to keep doing the thing that you're doing, chasing after the Lord and, and raising up the next generation and challenge you to take what you're doing to the next level, to, to lean in more and more. You know, like I said, a couple uh, years ago, I became a father and uh, my son uh, Judah was born in, in year 2020. And when I became a father, like everything changed for me. You know, I was one of those guys that wanted to be a dad at like 17 years old. And so when my, my son was born, I started to realize that my responsibility um, changed drastically. As a father, you know, I'm responsible now for, for this young life to raise him to be a godly man. And, and that weight kind of hit me in a whole new way. And, and what I know is true is as my son has now been entrusted into my care, I don't want to just be a natural dad to him. A natural father. I want to I become a spiritual father as well that doesn't just teach him how to you know, do the normal things, but that teaches him how to, how to follow Jesus and how to understand his word and how to serve people and love people. And, and that's a responsibility that I'm trying to take really seriously because here's the truth. We have a lot of youth in this room. We have a lot of young people in this room. But if we're honest, by and large, and it may be not this way in this local church, but by and large, across our country and around the world, there's a deficit of spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. This next generation is hungry for the things of God. They're hungry to pursue him. But we need spiritual mothers and fathers who would surround their, their lives like this. Who, who would tuck them in close and to, to pull them into the life that they're living and and so I really believe that there is a call, there's a mandate on the church and on, on us to rise up and invest in the next generation. And, and just before we get started, if the, if the youth could just stand to your feet for a second. I want, I want the church to see, I want, I want you to see this. And then maybe you didn't go on the weekend, I want you to stand up as well. Just take a look. Stay standing for a minute. Take, take a look, soak this in. Churches pray to see stuff like this. Pastors pray and pray and pray to see what you're seeing, to live in what you're living in. And I just want to speak to those who are standing right now like, your life, the call on all of your lives is so important. And this body, this church, your pastors, they need you. They desire you. They're looking to you. You inspire them. You need spiritual mothers and fathers, and my challenge to this whole church today is this is the harvest, <laughs> but there's more. There's more in schools. There's more in the community that we could be rallying around to be investing into, and now I'm going to talk to this group who's standing, the kids that just left this room. Who are you investing into? You can go ahead and take a seat. I just wanted you to get a visual of that because I, I, a pastor once told me this, that, that every person needs about five people in their life. You need a Paul, somebody further along than you in your spiritual walk to invest in you. Everybody needs a Barnabas, someone to kind of run alongside of you and encourage you. Everybody needs a Timothy, somebody to invest into, to, to pour your cup of wisdom, to pour your cup of faith, to pour your cup of life into theirs. Everybody needs a Nathan be able to call you out and correct you, to be able to call me out and correct me when I step out of line, when I'm not living the life that God's called me to. Everybody needs a Jethro. Someone's got that 30,000 foot view of your life that can speak into it from a distance, like Moses' father-in-law. 
And, and today I was praying and I really just wanted to encourage this church and talk for a few minutes around the Paul to Timothy relationship. And whether you're a student or whether you're not, all of us can be a Paul to a Timothy. And so I, I want to talk about that because we really do need spiritual mothers and fathers because this generation, my generation, everyone all around us are dealing with real stuff. The generation that just stood up is walking through comparison issues and insecurity all around us. Social media has exasperated insecurities because in real time you can think thoughts of what people think of you. Dealing with real fear, real anxiety, real mental health crisis, real questions. There is an attack on truth in the culture that we live in. And this group that just stood up, they're wondering what's true, what's not. Where do I get my information from? Is it from TikTok or is it from the local church? Is it from my grandfather in the faith? Is it from my... Sp There's a lot at stake. But the good news is that Jesus is over his church. Jesus is alive and active in the body of believers at this church and in this youth. Can I get an amen? And so I want to read a few scriptures and then we'll jump in today. The first is in 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 2, because Paul considers Timothy a son in the faith. That's what he says. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. 1 Corinthians 4.15, he would showcase uh, this as well. He would say, even if you had 10,000 teachers to teach you about Christ, you only have one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preach the good news to you. So I love this, that right from the beginning, Paul views Timothy, the younger in faith, as a spiritual son. It's the year 2023. I don't know how we're here. Anybody like, wasn't it just like June? It's 2023. And the world needs Jesus. And the world needs the hope that we carry. And so Paul is investing into Timothy and so when I became a father, everything changed. I realized I had this responsibility to my son Judah at first of like, how do I articulate the gospel and the good news to a three-year-old, you know, which is kind of what they're doing right now. So we need to be praying for our children's pastors and children's workers because the task starts then, not later. The reality is that the first one to a young person's heart, the first one to a child's heart often wins. So how can we get there first? How can you get there first? I've been having these conversations with my son Judah recently, and uh, at my church uh, we have uh, something called Christ's Birthday Offering that we do at the end of the year around Christmas time, and, and all of the, the funds go directly to missions around the local community and around the world, and we were having a conversation with my three-year-old around the Christmas tree, and my, my wife was sitting around the tree and said, Judah, what would you like to give to Jesus for his birthday offering? And my son has a wild fascination with Teslas. Anybody like Teslas? They're everywhere in West Palm. Like, it's kind of annoying because they're super cool. And you'll, like, pull in in West Palm to, like, the Target or the outlets. And I'll, like, pull into a spot that says, like, the charging stations only. I'm like, oh, my gosh, got to back up. And so he, he loves Teslas. And so my wife said, hey, Judah, what would you like to give for Christ's birthday offering? And Judah goes, uh, a red Tesla. And I'm like, boy, I don't know where you're getting these funds from. But if you find out, you let me know, Right. The other day, we're driving in the car, and uh, I'm, you know, hey, buddy, I'm not going to be in town this weekend. I'm going to be hanging out with students, talking about Jesus. And, and um, out of the blue, not in conversation, he's uh, sitting in the back of his car seat, just me and him. He goes, 
Jesus had a boo-boo. And I'm like, all right, he understands the cross. Like, that's his language, right? Like, he gets the cross, like Jesus on the cross, like he was crucified. To a three-year-old, he had a boo-boo. Like, you know, he falls, he goes, look, I got a boo-boo, right? And I'll go, yeah, yeah, t- tell me more. G- you think Jesus had a boo-boo? Yes. Yeah, because one day he was on the train and he fell off. And I'm like, okay, we got some work to do. We got some work to do. But I say that, and as funny as that is, I feel the responsibility as his father to even in that age help invest what God has invested into my life into him because he is, he's the baton carrier. This group is not just the church of someday or even tomorrow. It's right now. It's right now. And so Paul gets this, and Paul is at the end of his life. He's writing this letter to Timothy, the younger in the faith, and he, he writes this, this letter to him. And I'm going to be reading out of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And if you have your Bible, who has their Bible today? I love it. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read nine verses and then we'll get into the text today. This is, this is Paul. He's recognizing the gifting and the calling of life. And, and I believe that, that God wants to do the same thing in, in this church. It says this in first, uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son. What language To Timothy, my beloved son, he views him as a spiritual son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. As I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Verse 4, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I might be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you with First dwell in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I'm sure, I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh or to stoke the flame, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7, for God has not given us the spirit of timidity but of power in love and discipline. Verse 8, therefore do not be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. With the testimony of the Lord because of me. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Verse 9, for who has saved us and has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from the beginning. I love this text, and I want to explore it for a few minutes because I really believe that Paul gets something that, that we need to get in our spiritual brains, in our DNA, and in our hearts. There's so much on the line, and for us to move forward as the church and the local church and be all that God's called us to be, we need to rise up and invest in the next generation. Now, now you might hear this, the, you students, you might hear this and think that you're the recipients, and you are, but it's not someday that you're called to invest, it's this day. And so Paul, I believe, is an example of what it looks like to invest into the Timothys, right? He even says to Timothy, I thank God for Lois, your spiritual grandmother, and for Eunice. And I believe there's some commitments that we can make to invest into the Timothys and to the next generation. And and the first that I see Paul making is this, this is one to pray for and encourage spiritual giftings. Write that down, that we would be people who pray for and encourage spiritual giftings. 
giftings. He says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Pray for. I don't know, fam, where I would be without a praying mom, a praying dad, without leaders who have been in my life that I knew were praying for me in seasons where I was in the valley when things weren't good, when I was confused. Somebody came up to me. I just want to let you know, Tyler, I've been praying for you. You know what that does to the spirit? Faith begins to rise. And here's the dealio. You don't even have to know the student to commit to praying for them. Paul is saying, I pray for you night and day. If we're communing with God on a daily basis, what would it look like if we started including those who we feel God has called us to invest in into that place? God, I thank you right now that you would invest in the students of our house to pray for, to ask God to move on behalf of, for God to move and intervene in these areas of difficulty and struggle. Let's be a church that prays for those who we're investing into. But secondly, the second part of that is to encourage spiritual giftings. Every time that you see a student stepping into their spiritual gifting, every time that you see someone stepping out and doing the thing that God's called them to do, can we be a people, can we be a church that doesn't just pray for, but actually will take our prayers and let them know that we're praying for them? You see somebody in the weekend service or maybe during the week, maybe you give someone a phone call and say, I've been praying for you, I've been praying for your test, I've been praying for that job interview, and I just want to let you know I saw you stepping out this Sunday. I love the way that God called you to lead worship. You do an amazing job. I love how you stepped out in the production booth. Whatever you see, say. When you see somebody in the next generation stepping to, into the person God's called them to be and you think a good thought about them, say it. It can be really easy. We have all these intentions and someone says, hey, can you pray for me? Like, I'll pray for you. I'm so guilty of this. Let's be a people that right then and there say, can we pray right now? Let's agree right now in faith. Paul recognizes the power of prayer and that's why he keeps night and day. Timothy, you're on my mind. You're on my heart. I'm praying for you. I'm petitioning the Father on your behalf because I believe that prayers are powerful. And he encourages in spiritual gifting. I, I, I love that. So when you see somebody serving, say something. Encourage them. It goes a long way. He went on to say this. I long to, to see you again. It's not only that I see Paul investing through prayer and encouraging spiritual giftings. He he prioritizes proximity and presence. Proximity. Every single one of us in this room are in close proximity. Proximity is important. Proximity is part of discipleship. Paul, Paul says, I long to see you again for I remember your, your tears. I remember your tears as we parted and I'll be filled with joy when I'm with you again. Paul recognizes that there's just something that happens when you get in proximity that doesn't happen when you're separated. And I think we've kind of grown accustomed over the last couple of years, and I'm, I'm thankful for, for technology and for FaceTime. My sons get to know my parents because they live in PA, and so they can FaceTime in. But there's something different about when my sons FaceTime Gigi and Pops on the screen than when they swing open my front door and they come into my house, and my son sees him and sprints down and throws himself into their arms. Something different that takes place in proximity. 
we've gotten accustomed to kind of distancing ourselves over the last couple of years for all of the reasons that we know. And I think sometimes that starts to affect the way that we do life and even discipleship. And a big part of discipleship is being in proximity, being close. Think about Jesus. He has 12 followers everywhere they go. His discipleship. It was at tables and around bonfires and at, in synagogues. And everywhere he went, he was discipling them in proximity. Every facial feature that he made was a teaching moment. Every time Jesus responded to a critic, the disciples were observing and watching. How does Jesus handle conflict? When a crude joke is made, how does Jesus respond? If it's not funny to him, it's not funny to me. In, in, in proximity. Paul's saying, I long to be in proximity with you again. And if we're going to invest in to the next generation, what it might mean is we might have to make ourselves available to be in proximity. And maybe the simple next step is this Wednesday, refuge, saying, I'm in. How can I be in proximity? Paul wants to prioritize proximity, but also we need to prioritize presence because how many of you know you can be in proximity with somebody and feel like a million miles away? Married people in the room. We can be in proximity with our spouse Fellas, and not hear a word. Ladies say amen. <laughs> you can be in proximity to people and be a million miles away because there's unresolved conflict. Paul recognizes the value of being in proximity, being close, but also being present. Mind, emotions. I'm, 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 I'm close, we're close. There's eye contact. And I'm, I'm present, I'm here. I've heard it said, wherever you are, be all there. And I found myself, I come home from a day in the office or whatever, and I'm, I'm around the dinner table, which is discipleship happening in my home at the dinner table because my son is watching how my wife and I interact. How, how do we discuss problems? How do we discuss our days? And there's times where I pull out my phone like this, and I'm in proximity I'm not present. I'm in close relationship, but I'm not here. And if we're going to invest into people, we have to do the hard work to make ourselves available and then be available. Available. And for those who are looking to invest into the next generation or even young people, you don't have to have all the right answers. You don't have to have all the wisdom of the world. Here's the deal. All of us need somebody to be able to talk to. And what I've found more often than not, if you'll make time to sit with somebody that you want to invest in, the way that you earn the right to speak into the life is by listening, by being present. I, I see you. I, I hear you, right? Being present because proximity and presence develops trust. And when you invest yourself in that way, there opens the floodgates for you to be able to invest into and pour out wisdom. Paul values this. The truth of the matter is more often than not, things are caught, not always taught. Think about the person in your life that's impacted you the most. Was it a first grade teacher? Was it a youth pastor? Was it a family member? I'm sure they taught you a lot. 
But when you think about that person, more often than that, what happens is when we close our eyes and think about the person who impacted us, we think about how we felt around them, how the person made us feel, the lessons that we caught from observation. And a lot of discipleship, a lot of investment is simply proximity, what is observed. Meaning this, for those of us who are married in this room, we have a responsibility to demonstrate covenantal marriage for young people who don't understand what it looks like. I'm surrounded with young adults all the time who don't believe in the concept of marriage because everything they've seen has been broken and twisted. And so what we have the opportunity to do is let people in on because they're watching, they're observing. To invest in, we have to make ourselves close my son repeats everything I say right now, which is scary, but awesome. Because if, if we can prioritize, if I can m make myself available to, to say the things that the Lord would have, have me say, it's catching. He's listening. My wife and I are talking about him over here. We don't think he's listening, and all of a sudden I see him over here writing, and he goes, and then he'll say something. We're like, I had no idea. He's listening. It's the same with young people. We're watching. We're listening. We're looking. We're gleaning. Proximity and presence. We need to prioritize that. Then we see this that is most important, thirdly, to provide with truth and point to Jesus. To invest into the next generation, we need to be ready to provide with truth because there's a war on truth. There's an attack on truth. Truth in our culture is largely looked at as subjective and opinion-based. But thank God we do not take our answers from culture, but by the word of God. But we got to know it. The psalmist would have been meditating to, to think, to ruminate, to rehearse the word of God, so it's ready and on our tongue. And, and what I know is that when the opportunity comes for investment, when a young person comes our way, when a fourth grader comes your way and says, tell me about Jesus. Somebody at school called me a name. You have to, we talked about this. We have to be ready with truth on hand. Truth, truth on hand, with truth points to the person of Jesus. This is why when you read this text and, and Paul is encouraging Timothy saying, hey, hey, don't forget to stoke the gift of God in your life. Fan into flame. Don't forget. Don't be sidetracked. Don't be distracted. Don't get discouraged and stop doing what you're doing. Fan into flame. If you're going to build a fire, it's not going to continue to go without upkeep. Last night we were on an awesome bonfire. I love fires, but left unattended, they go out. And we, as the corporate body of Christ, have this opportunity, this privilege, this mandate to stoke the flame, to stoke the giftings. And here's the opportunity. Paul says, hey, Timothy, you're gifted. Step into your gifting. Don't forget what has been deposited into your life. And right after he says that, he says, also, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. You know why he says that? Because he knows Anytime we take ground and we start to occupy land that God has called us to that is occupied by the enemy, every time young people step out to be who God's called them to be, every time you and your workplace get ready to take new ground and share the love of Jesus and step into your gifting, every time you get ready to do that, the enemy wants to hit you with what? Fear. Ah, what if people laugh? What if you get fired from your job? 
I don't know if I'm good. I'm not as good as that other person. Truth is connected. The word of God is connected to our calling because our calling lives and breathes out of the truth. So our seasoned people in the church have a mandate to stoke the gift of God over young people. When you see it, celebrate because what you celebrate gets replicated. So Paul is reminding Timothy, hey, come on, come on. God's not giving you a spirit of fear. You can do it. You can go in your workplace. You can go in your school. You can be all that God's called you to be. Not because you're great, but because the spirit of the living God has called you and lives within you. So we have to be ready to provide with truth. And when that opportunity comes, point to truth. Point to the word of God. But also everything we do must point at the end of the day to the person, to the power, to the presence of Jesus. Jesus is the point, my friends. He is the point. He is the reason we do what we do. He is the reason we have breath in our body. He is head of the church. In him, all things hold together. He is the fullness of divinity and the fullness of humanity. Jesus is the solution. He is the craving. He is what satisfies. And what we have to do is understand how to point everyone we talk to back to him, especially young people who are navigating these conversations. He points him back to Jesus. Paul would go on to say in verse 8, so never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. And that's, can we just admit, sometimes it's really easy to be ashamed, feel embarrassed. What if, what if people laugh at me? Like, I know God did that thing in me at, at church a couple weeks ago, and it the weekend, I felt like God spoke to me and I came forward, but now I'm hanging out with the crew and they knew I went to a church camp, but what are they going to think about me if, man, Jesus hung on a tree and wasn't ashamed of us. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either. Even though I'm in prison for him, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Think about that. He's preparing Timothy for what's coming. Friends who've lived longer than we have, we need what you have to offer. I've been married five years. Five years, I, there's so much I don't know. I need what you have to offer. Friends who've been following Jesus for much longer, we need your wisdom, how to make decisions, how to, how to have conflict in a healthy way. We need what you have to offer. Help prepare us. Help prepare us for what's ahead of us. How do we follow Jesus in this day and age? How do we be who God's called us to be? We need what you have. You Pauls, you, you Loises, you who have gone before us, you spiritual mothers and fathers, we need you. We can't do this without you. We can't be who God's called us to be. I can't be who God's called me to be without spiritual mothers and fathers to speak into my life and be like, you're out of line. I can't be who God's called me to be without a spiritual mother that I know prays for me. I can't be who God's called me to be without a spiritual father to say, this is how you steward a family. This is how you raise godly men. I can't do it. I've never been there. Help us. Help me. Paul is encouraging Timothy he says this in verse 9, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. We need examples of what it looks like to be holy in a generation, in a, in a world where they don't value being set apart. 
Paul says, remind yourself of the holy calling. He did this not because we deserve it. That's grace. Everything that we have is undeserved. And I'm so aware of that. My family, my salvation is a gift. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was a part of his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 1 outlines for us what it looks like to invest into the Timothys. Paul would say, yo, I've, I've run the race. I've finished it. I've, I've, I've fought the good fight. My challenge to this, this group of incredible believers, whether you're 90 or 9 or somewhere in between, who are we investing into? Who are you investing into? Who's your one? This place is pretty packed to me. What would it look like in 2024 if, if every person in this room owned it to say, I'm going to invest into a Timothy? I'm going to pray for them, and when I see them stepping out, I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to do what i got to do to get in proximity and be present with those to help disciple people. And I'm going to provide with truth and point to Jesus. How might this church be different? I don't think you'd be able to wiggle a seat over. Youth, you need to feel that. It's not, it's not adults' job to, to invest. It's also yours. It's, it's yours. Feel that. To be who God's called you to be. People, young people need you. My son needs you. You're the small group leaders to my son. You're the pastors to my son. My two-month-old son, some of you are the worship leaders and the pastors and the small group leaders and the business people and the people that he's going to have an open ear to you. For you to have the words to say, you need Pastor Sidney. You need the leaders. You need Melvin. You need Huck. You need each other. Who are you investing into? Who are you calling up to be who God's called them to be? I don't know how this place would be different if we committed to pray for the next generation. Because this thing is a generational thing. From one baton toss to the other until the Lord returns, which he will. He's soon incoming king. So let that soon incoming king impact how we do what we do. And I, my prayer for this church is that, that you would begin to see each other rally around one another for the purpose of heaven and for Jesus. My challenge is this, who's your one? Who's your one that you're gonna commit to invest into and to pray for? Write their name in your Bible, write it on your mirror, tell the person, tell the leader, tell somebody. Some of you in this room, God's been knocking on the door of your heart saying it's time to serve at refuge, it's time to start investing into this group, these orange people right here. They need you. We, we need you. Don't think that you have to have all the right answers. We need your life, your, your, your experiences, your insight, your devotion, your example. So I'll tell you this. I know Hux will be more than happy to plug you in, to connect you. You don't even have to know where it is, what you're doing. Some of you should say, I'm all in. I'm ready to be in proximity, to be present, to invest. And my challenge to you, if that's you today, that right after the service, you go right up to Hux and say, I'm in. Where, where, what can I do? I, I'm in. I'm available. I'm, I'm present. I'm available. What can I do? What can I do?
Let me pray for this room. Father, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for heritage. I thank you for the favor and the blessing that is on this house. I thank you for the leadership. God, I thank you for the community that's been shaped and formed here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to do the good work that you've already started. God, I thank you for salvations this weekend. And God, I thank you for a next generation that's unapologetically, unashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. I thank you for a house of spiritual mothers and fathers that are here in these seats that would take their next step and say, I'm all in. What do you need? How can I serve? How can I help? God, I thank you for the disciples that will be found. God, I thank you for the new life that will be found. I thank you that these doors wouldn't be able to house what you want to do in this place. Holy Spirit, right now, for those who are going, am I in? Am I, am I qualified? God, I thank you right now that you qualify every person that you call. So right now, I speak to the person who feels insecure or fearful about stepping out and serving and, and being used by God so long as we got breath in our lungs. God, you want to use us. And more than use us, you want to partner with us, God, that you would partner with us to bring about your kingdom. Holy Spirit, I pray blessing on this house, favor on this house. God, help us to be people who take the initiative to invest into those in front of us so that we might see a world change for Jesus. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.
Thank you guys for being a part of leading us. I want you to turn the lights up for a second because there's another group of people that maybe not get as recognized, maybe not get recognized as much. If you went on this trip and you were a counselor and you've been uh, at the weekend with our students as, as counselors, would you stand? Would you stand for me? If they happen to work for you, they need a week off, just, just they probably need two weeks off just to recover. Uh, and for Michael. <laughs> See, y'all think it's Mike, y'all think it's Hucks, but it's really Chrissy. Chrissy and Mike, would you guys please stand? very thankful for you guys. You know, I was, students, here's the reality. So I was sitting in the back last night, and I was sitting in the back Friday night, and um, this is, this is what, this is what, adults, this is what I was, this is what was on my mind. How many students are we sending back to homes that aren't, you with me? How, how many students are going back to homes that the the environment there is not conducive to spiritual growth. That is toxic. We talk about growing up the next generation. We better get our acts together, adults. Amen? One of the most powerful times, I was talking to the students one time about pornography, and I talked about you need to give your parents you need to give your parents your passwords. And one kid said, our parents need to give us their passwords. 
We laugh. <laughs> Students, my prayer, our prayer for you is that the event would be more than an event. It would be life change. See, life change doesn't happen in a moment. It happens over a long journey. Your relationship with Jesus is it's this journey. It's this ongoing journey that you grow and you mature in your faith in Jesus. I pray, I pray that every one of us would have homes where that fire is stoked in Jesus and that around the, around the tables and in the car that there would be conversations about Jesus, not about in his name, blessings in his name, blessing Jesus, you know, curses and all that kind of stuff. My prayer is that would be conversations about Jesus and about, you know, what, what would Jesus do? What does it look like when we go back to the Word and we talk about the Word? You're going to go through discouragements. Tyler and I were talking this. Dis discouragement is not the enemy. Unbelief is. So how do you hold on to the Word? Parents, we have been blessed. Church body, we have been blessed. I, I, we don't have time, but there's a lot more we could be talking about right now. But we need to close out our time together. But listen, if you don't know Jesus... What is keeping you from making the most important decision of your life? The most important decision of your life. The greatest thing that we do is not a gathering on a Sunday morning. It's not a gathering on a Wednesday. It's not all the religious activity. But the greatest thing that we can do is come to the place where we humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I come to recognize that, man, my life is a mess and I can't do anything about it. I believe that you gave your life as a sacrifice for my sins. And today I want to humble myself and I want to receive you and I want to live for you. I want to trust you. I want to give my life for you and to you. And from this day forward, I want to live for you. That's the biggest decision you can ever make. To say, yes, Jesus. If you've never made that decision, before you walk out those doors, would you even make that decision today? Right there where you sit, you can make that decision. And we love you. We're proud of you, students. It's a big deal to give a weekend of your time to separate yourself from, the, from your peers, to come together, to listen. You've heard great preaching. You've been a part of great worship. But now, now reality hits. Now what are you going to do with it? Now you go back to the school and at 7.30 in the morning you're going to be on a campus somewhere in a class sitting and what are you going to do with what you've learned this week? My prayer was that we would all understand that we're on mission, whether you're in the workplace, whether you're on the ball field or sitting in a classroom, you are on mission for Jesus Christ. Amen? There are tons of your friends that are questioning, that are longing for somebody for hope. Man, they're anxious, they're discouraged, they're overwhelmed with life and you've got the answer. Why? not share it with them. It's Jesus. It's Jesus.